Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room. Blay discussing Dead Pixels horror video game podcast, delivering a horrifying new episode every Monday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I am the other one, Neil Bow. It's been 10 years since Telltale's episodic The Walking Dead game, which launched its first episode, A New Day, in which the player finds Lee Everett, a man with a questionable past, who finds himself fostering a young girl, Clementine, at the start of a zombie apocalypse. Though as is usually the case with apocalyptic events, not all threats are of the undead variety, and every choice the player makes will be their most valuable resource. And today, Neil and I are unpacking the first of five episodes in Season 1 of The Walking Dead, and so it should come as no surprise that we'll be discussing all manner of spoilers. So Neil, before we dive into a new day, uh, I'm curious, what is your relationship with The Walking Dead, whether it be, you know, the comics, the show, which seemingly never ends, or <laughs> any of the other uh, Walking Dead games that are out there? Um, Yeah, I feel like I'm a long time in both. I'm pretty much, I think, weirdly now, almost the end of the comic run in terms of collecting them all. I think I've got like the last two volumes to go, which is pretty much the same point the tv show is at at the minute as well so i'm kind of holding off to sort of end it all in one big shebang <laughs> i mean that that's you know we are currently on the second part of three parts of this season of the walking dead for the final one in tv land uh that, that ends this week or, or, or just a couple of weeks ago in fact nothing about it but yeah so i've as we've discussed many many times Zombie stuff is extremely in my bag. Slow zombies, all that sort of stuff. Great, you know. And I remember reading like the early stuff and then seeing the TV series was coming. And the fact was, you know, Frank Darabont was in, in on it. You know, I've loved the mist and the dynamic that he sets up in the mist is very much carried forward into those early episodes of The Walking Dead with several of the cast, in fact, you know, of the mist coming into it. And yeah, it, it was, um, end up just being one of the things that for a while just like took over. I was like so into everything it did. And then this came along, you know, and really sort of got me and you know, with what, you know, to, with the way it did things. And yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed all this stuff. I think, you know, after a while, there was just a bit much of it. And, you know, I ended up not being able to watch it on you know day and date like most people and so you get stuff spoiled constantly and i just you know it got to the point where i was like i don't really care then i'll just i'll skip it for now but then i'd come back to seasons and watch them you know of my evolution and i'd find that you know and this is true in most cases that spoilers are spoilers only so much it doesn't really matter if the story is well told it's the journey there that matters. And so I ended up enjoying those seasons and again, read them in tandem with like, you know, the way the stories were going in the comics and, you know, where they started to really diversify and become these whole different things. And even now you, you know, in later seasons, they do plot beats that are still in those, in the comics, but obviously many of the characters involved in them got killed off early or don't exist. And, you know, it's interesting seeing the different way they go about it, you know, and, uh, yeah. So, and I've really enjoyed the characters in their various forms. You know, there are versions of the characters I like better on the, on the screen and some I like better in the book. But yeah, it's 
just been a constant, you know, over the last decade plus, really, you know, with the you know the whole thing going on as it is. And yeah, I, strangely, I can never get enough. I'm very much back into it again in the last year or so. I think really catching up the last few seasons and feeling very much reinvigorated with the whole thing. How about you? Yeah, you know, I stumbled upon it in a comic book shop around the original inception of that first issue and mm. you know was really enamored with the idea of telling a zombie story that was putting the zombies in the background right it was all about obviously this is not this is not some new revelation on that but for the time right. period in being inundated with zombie movies and games of that nature it was very much the zombies were the focal point and to come to something that was very character driven and relationship driven and seeing how people change or rather how a part of them that was repressed in normal society really comes to the forefront in an apocalyptic scenario um, was the draw for me. And I kind of was like immediately in love with that idea of storytelling and that, that facet of it um, that when it came to come on the screen for like the TV series for the first two, three seasons, it was like a dream come true, right? Cause you get this kind of see those comics that I've been enjoying for so many years come out, but then it got to the point for me at least where it was just, it was too much, right? It was too much to keep up with between the comics, the series in the immediate nature of things, like seeing what was different, you know, yeah. coming to it. When I came to both that point in time, I was like fairly younger. Not the idea that I was like very much into that. Well, this version's better than that version and getting caught up in it. And then once things started to like splinter out into spinoffs and then getting games that weren't necessarily capturing the essence of what I had loved about the early comic series but also the early tv series i was kind of just like well i'm gonna step away from this for a while and then came back eventually and like dug back into the comics and caught back up and it was just very refreshing to see that what i loved about the early parts of the comic were still very much the ethos of where the narrative narrative had gone and whatnot um even if you know the more recent zombie or walking dead games in general were not in line with what I enjoyed so much about, you know, the entirety of the first season of The Walking Dead. But, you know, before we really dive into A New Day, that first episode, um, do, have you had much experience with Telltale's other games or, you know, what had came out before The Walking Dead? Um, yeah, I was very much the Telltale guy back in the day when um, I was at PlayStation Universe. You know, I played the Sam and Max games they did, you know, the, Curse of Mon- the, the Monkey Island stuff they did, that questionable Jurassic Park game they did you know back they did a back to the future game which is really cool as well and it's they, they'd already sort of had a few dabbles at like taking a license with that model and to varying success and they sort of hit the sweet spot here you know and beyond here you know I was very much into it um you know they went on to do other stuff like the wolf among us which is obviously adapted from other graphic novel in fables um, which is also you know highly popular. Um, you know the other stuff. I mean they they made Minecraft work as an episodic episodic thing. You know the, they they made death in Minecraft work as an episodic. Thing. It was a uh, one of the most touching moments in one of their games. Is funny enough comes from that where a companion dies like that, and when they die, like it should be comic that. When they die, they all the stuff that they have on them drops, like on the floor. They just poof out of existence, like in <laughs> Minecraft, and then all the stuff. But it works in the context of the story, and it's like 
the perfect way to do things. And I think it got forgotten a lot that they really did do that well. And I think most of the problem was the formula does feel very familiar a lot of the time. But interesting things do happen with them. And the only time it really goes wrong is if there are technical issues um, or the wait's too long. I mean, this season uh, in particular was uh, very much teething problems of like learning how to not space the episodes out too much and people waiting too long between episodes. And it was like agonizing, you know, trying to think, well, when's the next one coming? When am I going to play the next episode? And it sparked this whole debate about, you know, episodic gaming and you know many games tried it over the next few years to try and copy that and ended up suffering in different ways you know io interactive did it with hitman you think of life is strange things like that all did it piecemeal and then you know have changed their ways in years after that but yeah it was remarkable i think even when they had bad times like the first season of batman they did you know again very much comic orientated it was mostly down to the fact that it had so many technical problems that it was a you know that it was un- unpleasant to play. And the second season of that was like among the best stuff they'd done. You know they did a really good take on the Joker, which is you know difficult to do, let's just say the least these days, without making it seem like you know, the standalone. You know because they tried to make him this character that wants to be a hero. You know and stuff like that in his own psychotic way. it's great that they tell these little stories in different ways and hell they made a Guardians of the Galaxy game that was decent you know before that and yeah it's unfortunate the company turned out to be run like it was and you know it ended up being shut down and the company that exists now is not the same company despite the fact they're making a second season of The Wolf Among Us but the important thing from that is that with the help of Skybound, who obviously helped publish the graphic novels of The Walking Dead, you know, they did get these games back out there again and make sure that they were general, most of them were generally available to buy again this entire season. You know, these series of Walking Dead games that they did, you know, four main seasons of plus some extra stuff got put into a whole great package, which I recommend for anyone that hasn't played it that does, redoes the graphics to look more like the graphic novels than they did before and you know just generally just makes it all feel a bit more complete and yeah it's it's sad that telltale sort of burned fast you know you know they were done and dusted very quickly after all this when you think about it that it was only a decade ago that they were making this was their big breakout thing and now they don't exist as they were you know that's the way things can go and yet they made a shit ton of games at that time. And you know, and I think it's just that people, once it got to stuff they didn't like and it wasn't what they wanted, that, that they were, you know, you get what you get in video game land, which is dead this, dead that, everything's wrong, you know, it can't be good because I don't like this. That's uh, It was more down to the fact they were just pushing people too far, you know, at that point. Which is a shame. But yeah, it's a company... I've had a long and fascinating sort of time with, and yeah, it, this game ended up being a very important one for me, I think, in terms of what it did. And, you know, I, I get the criticisms we get with this, you know, set up and formula and how, what you perceive as 
impactful choice in video games. But you know, we'll get into that, I think, over covering this season and the following ones. My first experience with Telltale was The Wolf Among Us Season 1 and just being so enamored with the attention to storytelling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, being a fan of fables, the graphic novel and whatnot, and seeing, being able to occupy that world and notice familiar characters, but it never feels like it's treading or resting too much on the laurels of the graphic novel's success. It never feels like, oh, well, yeah, this is just an interactive version of what I've experienced already. Yeah. And having that high bar with The Wolf Among Us and then going back and diving into the first season of The Walking Dead, before I even did that, though, my fear was is that was this going to be similar to the type of quality that was found in The Wolf Among Us? Or was this going to be, okay, let's uh, let's get Rick Grimes in here and I'll have him, you know, save this person, save that person. But it manages once again. And, you know, I've only played the first two seasons, so I'm excited to dive into the later seasons that I never got a chance to play. But it was very refreshing once again to come into a world that felt somewhat familiar. I recognized a couple of the locations, a couple of characters, a little familiarity there, so I don't feel too foreign to what's happening hmm. but at the same time just being pleasantly surprised by so many new characters characters that are fully fleshed out that you fully understand their motivations and whatnot and you get a sense of who they are early on in meeting each character to the degree that when it comes time to make big decisions you feel informed enough even if it is very suddenly sprung on you you feel at least informed enough that no matter what decision you make it's informed by something. It's not, yes, you know, a big part of everything is obviously your gut reaction to certain things, but it's not just that. It's not just do I save option A or option B. You actually have, you know, a name, a face. You've got a little bit of an interaction with each party before being made to make that big decision, which, you know, it it's surprising in going back and replaying the first episode, how quickly that they're able to foster an emotional connection, whether it be a positive or a negative one, with characters upon meeting them. Mm. Um, and that was something that I think still that episode one really, really stands strong at, you know, being an example of and, you know, say what you want about Telltale and, you know, their refusal to sort of update their tech ultimately, I think, being, amongst other things, one of the downfalls of them. Their attention to storytelling, you know, from what I've experienced of The Wolf Among Us and the first two seasons of The Walking Dead – I mean, those are just a couple of pivotal moments of storytelling in video games and also having the voice actors that further can take the, obviously the lines and dialogue and these things and really sell them in a way that doesn't just feel like it's, it's phoned in dialogue or it's an afterthought. It feels like you're getting this full fledged production that is able yeah. to really carry emotional weight that, you know, alludes a lot of games or a lot of writing in games and whatnot. So I'm excited to dive into this first episode because I was pleasantly surprised by how well this holds up, you know, a decade later. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I will instantly put in the caveat that I've now completed this first season six times, I think over the years, just because, you know, partly because back in the day it was like a trophy hound, easy platinums. You finish the story done like that and you get platinum. And so I do it on, PS3, I did it on Vita, I did it on PS4. And, but also because there was stuff in it that, you know, as the later seasons came out and certain characters had their sort of journeys, it made it more impactful to sort of go back and see how things were 
and that's great about this, I think, is that there are characters that are new, you know, that aren't in the graphic novels that, you know, I wish were. I think you know, Clementine, I think, is actually getting her own, like, comic now, you know, as it stands. So that would be cool, you know, to see that. Because I've always, I always wanted her to get into it. By the time they actually got around to it, it was all done and dusted. So, um, yeah, that was a shame. But yeah, I was always hopeful that, you know, one of the characters from this would get in there somewhere because there were a few. But yeah, it's, um, a very understated start, I think, to this episode, you know, where, you know, to get us the ball rolling, you know, and, uh, sort of building up that tension to, what we know is going to happen, you know, like the end of the world. It's basically taking place at the start of it all, which is, I think, where the Fear of the Walking Dead does as well. You know, it's at the beginning, you know, which, you know, in the world of the Walking Dead, you don't really see it because you get, you know, Rick in a coma. He comes out of it. It's already been happening for an amount of time. Here we have a brand new protagonist, uh, Lee Everett, who is a history professor who has been convicted of killing a state senator that had had an affair with his wife. Um, And so on the day this is happening, he's being transported in Atlanta by a police officer, and he's in the back of the cruiser heading to prison. And, you know, they're having this little conversation. They're getting used to this whole, you know, you have the four options of, like, dialogue, where they are, and, you know, variations on a theme, generally, and... You're just making small talk and he's trying to like figure out if you did it like playfully talking to you like that and goes on a thing about this guy he had in the back of the car who's, you know, swearing he was innocent despite the fact that he was caught doing it like that and stuff. And eventually, you know, a, a walker happens to be in front of the car when he's not looking. They crash off the road. The driver, you know, the policeman's dead. Lee has to get out of the back of the car, which is obviously not easy when he's already handcuffed and, you know, the back of a police car. He does, and then, of course, encounters the undead for the first time. And after, you know, a bit of an awkward time he has, he manages to escape and stumble his way into someone's back garden. And so begins the uh, the story, really, because that's where he eventually meets Clementine, who you know, is more than Lee. It's her story over, that we will be getting into over the next few seasons. Yeah, you know, that was the one thing that I definitely remember being so surprising about the first episode. But, you know, it, it's a theme that carries on throughout the entire first season, and it's definitely indicative of the second season, is, you know, approaching episodic adventure games Back in the day, it was a little hesitant, right? The idea mm. that I'm approaching it, and I'm like, well, should I just wait for the entire season? Is this worth diving into for two hours at a time and then not getting anything for two months, potentially three months? It wasn't kind of like with in my gaming history, it would be the equivalent of like the Half-Life games, episode one, episode two, that episodic approach. But those were five to six hour experiences, right? So yeah. it's like, yeah, you're going to wait longer, but those are a little more hefty of an experience. Mm. And so my hesitation was, well, two hours is not a lot. You can finish that in one sitting. And when it's not so much about gameplay, but narrative, I was like, well, do I really want to dive into this? But obviously I'm glad that I did. And on this recent replay of episode one, 
I was, again, taken aback by just how expansive it is and how much yeah. they're able to do in those two hours. They don't waste a character interaction. They don't waste an exploration of an environment. I mean, there's there's probably six different environments, right? Which is the car crash in the woods, the suburban neighborhood you discover Clementine, Herschel's farm, the storefront, the motel, and then escaping the store or going back to the store, yeah. I guess. But there's so many different locations. There's so many different characters within that to fully interact with and get a sense of who they are that there's really not a minute of this experience that is wasted, which in my mind really stands up still as being this exemplary piece of storytelling in games and understanding that, yeah, you know, again, I said two hours. It might take some people two to three hours or whatever, but there's so much depth to that two to three hours that eludes some, you know, five to six hour experiences out there, right? You get to have these full-fledged interactions with characters and get a semblance of who they are and get to explore the different stages of the apocalypse that people are in and what their experiences were in the apocalypse, which, you know, unbeknownst to you at the moment, and even on a replay, you know, taking risks and trying out different avenue paths, who you want to align with, who you want to save. And it's just a shocking amount of depth to player interaction, but also player choice in mm-hmm. a way that I find holds up really, really well. And, you know, I would be remiss to uh, not mention how phenomenal the voice acting is in this. You know, the yeah. writing is stellar, but also, you know, especially in the case of uh, Lee and Clementine and uh, Lee is voiced by Dave Fenoy and Clementine's voiced by Melissa Hutchinson. And, you know, those are the two outliers as the protagonist. But I mean, the entire cast is so well voiced and just every line of dialogue is sold that, you know, yeah, you get a sense of who people are through what they tell you or through animation cues of expressions and whatnot. But also there's so much emotion in everything the characters Mm. say and, you know, everything that you're told by a character you can sense the emotional weight or the history or what is informing those decisions. And then you really do get a sense of like why people are approaching a conversation or a conflict from the point that they are, even if you don't have to be shown their various experiences throughout the apocalypse and whatnot, Mm. because everybody's coming to this point and coming together with different experiences of how they had to survive, which, you know, is what I love so much about the comics, right? You get this wide swath of characters from different backgrounds with different experiences in life and in the apocalypse and in the game in such a short amount of time, you get that true sense of like who people are and what they're doing. They might believe what they're doing is right. And you believe that they think that you don't agree with it always, but they sell it in a manner that it feels informed by something. It doesn't feel like just another plot device as it were. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, you get layers of conflict throughout that don't necessarily even involve Lee initially, but, you know, circumstance means that one way or another, you're going to have to side with someone because of why, you know, you can't leave a situation be. Um, you only have to think of later in the episode when he does get to that store, you know, where it starts, you know, you get two characters in particular who are very rambunctious, very aggressive in their emotions. And it's, you know, you, you have no choice. You have to side with one of them, really, because. Otherwise, they're not. You're not going to calm them down any other way, and it it does get like that. You know, lots of people, especially in this early part of the, the apocalypse, are very mistrustful. You know, they want to help people, you know, and but 
you can sense there's a sense of being jaded and regretting looking up, trying to look after anyone but their own. You know, for Lee's first sort of major interaction, as we said, it, it being in Clementine's house where, you know, he gets there, it looks empty, you know, she's up in the tree house hiding. And so he sort of go through the house and seeing it's in this state of disarray and then he listens to the voicemail messages, you know, which sort of increase in, in a really interesting way where you have, you know, it's her parents sort of saying where they are and what's happened, you know, and, and escalating how bad it's got. And then you get a cue of like, oh, well, you know, the babysitter should do this for you, etc., etc. And then Clementine introduces herself over walkie-talkie to Lee. And, yeah, of course, that sets up the natural thing of, well, now you know where the babysitter is as they end up coming <laughs> out of nowhere to start trying to bite Lee. And, yeah, that, that ends in grisly fashion. But, yeah, that was a very typical sort of way of the series goes where there's a very quiet moment and it doesn't really go for jump scare value if you will it just sort of stuff happens you know in this world it just you know you're going through you know something's going to happen because it's building that way and it's going to be that way and it's very clear you know okay Babysitter's not here. Okay, or someone's going to be in the house as a zombie because you know how zombie apocalypse stuff works, and that, that's fine. But that's you experiencing it, so you know you're expecting it. It's just when and where it will happen, and that's the kind of dread you bring to that sort of experience. Yeah, you know, I think that that moment that you're highlighting when you go to Clementine's house, unbeknownst to you, you know, she's in the treehouse, but you're exploring the house. So much of the early moment really, I think, is a great example of what I was talking about with just how stellar the voice acting is because yeah. you don't meet Clementine for about five to ten minutes until, you know, you get that moment with the zombie that pops up. But even before that and talking with her, you interact with the uh, answering machine and you have to hear the various voicemails from her parents yeah. and saying like they're in the throes of the apocalypse, the realization they're not going to get there. Somebody got bit. They know what's going to happen. And there's such a resounding amount of pain and empathy in the voice there of the parents' voice. And, you know, you don't see the grisly carnage. You don't see any of that. But you just get so much out of just the voice performances there. And then, you know, having a the beginnings of a bond with Clementine through the walkie talkies, right. And getting the sense of like potentially who she is and what her perception, you know, she's a child. So getting her perception of what is happening versus obviously your own as an adult is an interesting contrast, I think. Mm. And, you know, of course, ultimately how the player chooses to interact or respond in the conversations is up to them. But I think it's interesting the way in which, you have the option of Lee selling it like it's either a really big deal or it's not a big deal. And no matter what you choose, the way in which Fenoy really sells those lines, it doesn't matter which one you choose because it feels very genuine no matter what yeah. outcome you pick, right? You can either kind of shield the child from the reality or you can be upfront with her as if she were an adult and have a conversation about what's happening or what probably happened with her parents. But that's an element that I think has a tendency to get overlooked is just like how stellar the voice performances are in this. And, you know, the writing does a lot of the heavy lifting, but I can't imagine it's the type of thing you look back, you know, talking about looking back at the series. 
I can't imagine either one of them not being at the helm of the voices of those characters because yeah. they're so pivotal to selling every interaction, every line of dialogue that, you know, on my replay this time, generally, like generally I go for the more positive conversation outlook. I try to avoid conflict in adventure games because I think it will have a more interesting narrative yeah. arc or whatnot. But this time I'm going a little more in the outside of my comfort zone, which would be more aggressive or being more upfront. And I assumed that it was going to be the case where I was like, well, I don't know how well the story is going to play out this way, but it plays out just the same caliber of emotional investment of getting a personable sense of every character and every player that you're coming in contact with that it just, it makes for a delight on a replay. It really does. Yeah. It's just so much sort of to it. There's, there's a, you know, it's heart to it in a way. It just does the nice little things. The, the quieter moments, you know, that, you know, that it takes time to have conversations between characters that aren't just about what's going on. You know, it's like, you know, he becomes the mentor here, you know, to try and get her through this experience. He's offered this situation where, you know, it's putting you in the very rational shoes of someone who would be like, well, of course I'm not going to leave this child on their own. You know, I can't. I just cannot do that. You know, that's why it doesn't come up as a real choice, you know, to just say. And while people may go, well, why wouldn't, you know, well, that's not my decision then. I think this is key, you know, for the decision-making process, you know, and where people criticise the games for saying, oh, well, you can't do much, you, you know, you've only got these predetermined actions. It's like, well, it's because you're not playing you. You're playing a character who you're, learning what they are like and informing your opinion of them as to how they should react rather than you being the person and making it just about you. So it's little of you, but it's more about how you perceive Lee and what you think he will and will not tolerate. And I, I think that is the interesting thing I think that uh, kind of got lost you know, with, with some of the criticism with uh, this game. Especially as the episodes went on. Um, so yeah, he takes her obviously to go and try and out of the, you know, go away from the home and sort of half promises the idea that they may go to find their parents, you know, that, that but tries to be somewhat realistic if you want that to be the opinion. Again, as you said, it's how you play it. You can decide to be honest with her or sort of like be hesitant and say oh well you know we may not be able to do that sort of thing and but we'll try and you know that, that's always sort of there there's always a we'll see sort of nature to that which is you know how you, you generally go with kids you know when they're trying to ask something that seems in your own head is impossible you don't want to be no I'm going to traumatize you now you know like that <laughs> and again this is why it goes back to it being Lee's set of opinions are the sort of things he might say in because do you think of what any person would say in a situation there's no guarantee they would say the same thing twice in the same situation given the chance it just depends on a bunch of factors coming into that moment and what informs that moment that you may answer slightly differently or slightly different because you know what you may be kind and 
you know, giving you wise old ideas of like, oh, this is my advice like, thing at one time. But if you're in the wrong mood set, you'd be like, no, I, I have no time for this. That's, um, I'm just going to try and shoo you away a bit and get on with this situation. Because, you know, the more important thing here is to get out, you know, and be done with it. And I think that does come into it. That's where your part of the decision-making really informs Lee's, you know. But you're still working within his parameters. So he goes through that. They meet some people, which uh, takes them to, you know, the first time we get to go to a an actual Walking Dead universe location, which is Herschel's farm and meeting Herschel. Um, but obviously this is before the days of Herschel's involvement in the comics. So, you know, you aren't going to meet Rick here or anything like that. Um, it, it's still the early days. And so, you know, he's different in the comics to what you might see in, in the TV series, for instance, anyway. So, He's a bit surlier. He's not quite so. He's not so warm. You know, I know he's. You know, they, they sort of push that a little in the TV show, where they sort of say, "Oh, you know, he was, you know, like a bit fire and brimstone about stuff, but he's also an alcoholic and all this." Like, but yeah, in the comics, he's a bit surlier with it, and from the start, and you get that with him. You know, he's very much very suspicious of Lee and how that relationship goes and basically calls you out on your bullshit, whatever you try to do, it seems. Uh, even when you try to be frank and honest with him, you know, again, it goes back to that idea that it's Lee trying to protect himself because despite what's going on, his main thinking is I'm a convicted criminal and I don't want to get myself put away, especially while this girl's safety is at hand, you know, which is, very much how Lee turns out as a person, you know, he is trying to do better, you know, and but you know, and uh, learn from the mistake he made, and it was a mistake. You know, it, that much is clear that you know, we learn, but it's yeah, he comes up against this constantly, you know, this idea that you know, well, I don't trust you because of who you are, or what you look like, and you know, when that factors into it you know his own recent past when it does get brought up it's you know another sort of angle that sort of goes into it but Herschel's farm was an interesting one to go to you know because I think by the time this came out I think we'd had I think we just had season two of the tv series which went which at the time people were not happy with because they were oh it doesn't go it's taking too long you know, to go through this part of the story, it's like, God, if ever they'd known. that <laughs> <laughs> Later, there would be like multiple seasons on stuff that was barely relevant in the comics. Right. Um, but yeah, it was like, so yeah, getting to that point was kind of cool to have this sort of like prequel, if you will, to events there and seeing what happened to members of Herschel's family and meeting some of the characters for the first time, you know, like uh, obviously Kenny and Catcher and, and Duck, you know, who become a key component of this season, you know, and certainly the second season f- with Kenny. Um, yeah, it, it's a very formative moment. Again, lots of quieter bits and relative peace for a bit before 
things go to shit as quick as they do and moments of feeling helpless when those things go to shit, I thought was really well handled. Yeah, so there's so many quality points you just made there. I'm trying to think which one I want to tackle first. But <laughs> Sorry. I think that, no, 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 no. Um, I think that in terms of like Lee being, thinking about Lee being a brand new character and how in which you traverse this new world for that character, but also the player yeah. is done so in a really smart way in terms of giving you this character that the player is more than likely going to feel very conflicted about, right? did this terrible thing, he's been convicted of it, and yet what the player is shown or what the player, the situations the player is put into are not indicative of a man that's just been convicted of murder of a state senator, right? So that in and of itself is a very conflicting situation to be dropped into because it almost becomes the point where, you know, again, depending on how the, the player decides to carry it, you're like, well, this seems to be like a very righteous and compassionate and empathetic person that is going out of their way to take care of this little girl whose parents are dead in a zombie apocalypse. And it was really interesting for me to go back and to replay at certain points and be like, well, I'm going to try to strive for this guy to have a second chance at living a righteous life like he should be living. But at the end of the day, he made this awful decision. And that background with that character adds so much tension from a narrative standpoint that it's to the degree that you don't I never find myself playing through this and being like oh there aren't enough bits with the zombies or there isn't enough trying to fight for survival or this and that because there's enough tension in that of keeping that secret and of trying to make sure that people don't get catch on to the fact that either this child is in yours which I think inevitably comes out but the reality that you know about this area that you know about the locals and this and that which furthermore shows that you're from the area yeah and then people start to become suspicious of like well how do you know this area i thought you said you weren't from here or things like that and keeping this laundry list of lies that you inevitably will probably end up telling right you don't want to be too forthcoming about your history your background because then people like you'll encounter a character at a certain point that knows all about you right and they know about your backstory and your history and this raises the point that i think is probably the strongest indication of where the first season goes. And early on, a really strong storytelling element of Telltale's game development, and that being like the power of choice. And, you know, choosing the the good path or the right path, right and wrong decision-making in games is not like a new concept at this point when this game was released, obviously. No. But in this game, it places so much emphasis on every single decision you make no matter how innocuous it might seem to the greater scheme of things. And you get that when you first meet Herschel, right? Mm. You meet him and I, now, of course, it's, oh, no, he knows your name. That was the yeah. first decision choice that I made that caught me off guard because, you know, every time you make a big decision on something, you get a little indication in the corner that pops up that indicates like a character will remember that yeah. or a character didn't like that, or they know your name, right? So little details like that. And I remember, and it's been so long since I replayed this game that I forgot about that initial instance. And if anything, like telling Herschel my name and it registering that this is important, this character will remember that. Kind of like set off an alarm bell in my head because I was like, oh (laughs) shit, how is that going to affect further conversations or 
just me making a mental note of the fact that, okay, later on in this conversation or later on with other characters that might converse with that character about this conversation, that could bite me in the ass. And that does a great job at lending tension to something that a majority of the time in video games is just a normal conversation. Usually players don't put much thought Hmm. into a conversation you have with characters because it's like, yeah, either I guess you're going to solve this problem amicably or you're going to have to immediately trigger a bout of violence with somebody to overcome this. But the fact of the matter is a majority of the verbal, not conflicts, but verbal dialogue that you have with characters, the resolution is not going to be immediate. Hmm. It's going to happen down the road, which will drastically alter your outcome or any number of outcomes you might have. And for me, that is like a masterful building of conversations and attributing a lot more weight to those conversations than I'm used to in a lot of games. And, you know, to play this a decade later and it still carries significance with every decision, every conversation, I think is truly remarkable. Yeah. And going back to that Herschel conversation, in keeping with Herschel as a character is that he even if he calls Lee out on bullshitting him, he basically tells him, it's like, you need to become a better liar because there are people out there that will f- figure out what you are and they will hurt you for it, like that. And he says it not so much for protecting Lee, but because of Clementine. Yeah. But I think he has enough knowledge of it that he's thinking, I can see why he may have done that. You know, the, you know, the idea of killing someone who was with your wife and what we know about Herschel, maybe he gets it on some level and he's trying to sort of be, offer his friendly advice as much as he can. And yeah, little moments like that just felt nice, you know, rather than pushing that into being this big, overblown thing, you know, straight away. And as much as you can be honest and say a lot of what you've been through and what you do, yeah, Lee still kind of holds back a little to try and make sure that it doesn't get found out because for story reasons it makes sense as well because it adds conflict later on. But yeah, it's unfortunate then, of course, that despite that and everything sort of feeling a bit settled, things, of course, go wrong because, <laughs> you know, when don't they? And yes, Herschel's son, Sean ends up uh, getting chomped as a result of Kenny's son, Duck, not really sort of uh, paying attention and getting poor Sean crushed under the tractor he's on. And, yeah, that was a... It's awful on several things, you know. I say awful in terms of, like, horrible experience rather than, like, it being a terrible game thing. And, you know, it's... An ongoing thing you'll get with this this season and later, where you know how Kenny feels about Duck, you know, and you know he loves him so much, but he's very embarrassed about you know, how his son is a child and acts like a child. Like it, it speaks very much to the way that Kenny ends up being as a character that he always feels like that that he wants him to be. He loves him for who he is and respects that, but he also clearly from his own childhood has something in him that makes him think, no, he's got to be grown up and think sensibly about stuff. And he gets, 
you know, aggressively overprotective and it makes, you know, it, I will talk about this episode on episode for the next two seasons, but it makes Kenny one of the most interesting characters for me uh, of the entire thing. But as I said, we'll get into that at a later point. Um, so here, you know, we had this whole situation, which of course Herschel not happy about their lack of involvement in saving his son, you know, and despite his hospitality, so of course they get kicked out, and this is where they end up going to Macon, which is where Lee was from. And, you know, inexplicably, he ends up where else but uh, at the pharmacy where his parents owned and worked, you know, and so he has to add that secret on top of everything else, you know, like, um, but of course, this is where he meets a whole new bunch of people. Um, and, you know, if Kenny seemed like the abrasive, aggressive one before, um, Larry certainly takes his place in the, from this point on for a bit. So it's, it's a very, very much a case of like, you can see this is the sort of people thrown together because of circumstance, you know. There's no way these people would be together in a group. Even Larry's own daughter, Lily, you only feel the only reason she's with her dad is because it's her dad. You know, but he is nasty. Yeah, he is, a, <laughs> yeah. he is a horrible, boorish character in the best way. You know, it works so well for the story. But by God, yeah, it's like, it's the first time the game really pushes a character. It's like, no, you, you, you're going to get pushed by this character and they're going to keep at you. And it's like, and it wants you to react and it wants you to push back, you know, and because it knows it has the payoff for that later in various ways. But yeah, he is um, very much like the closest thing you have to an antagonist, I suppose, in these early episodes. You know, before everything goes to shit in other ways. So, yeah, how did you find this point meeting this this whole new group? Well, again, I was like very pleasantly surprised on the revisit that you meet so many characters when you get to that pharmacy mm. that all of them are developed as if there's no afterthought with the majority of them. There's one outlier there, but you know. When I'll get into that when it comes time to uh, discussing a decision that I made when we're leaving the the pharmacy. Yeah. But again, like every time you meet a crop of characters, everybody has something interesting to impart on the player that can potentially start to make you see other characters which you don't like in a light that you normally would not based on just who they are at face value. Yeah. Which for me really further fosters the idea that like you can't take anybody really at face value because based on your decisions or their decisions or conversations that you might have, your opinion and your view of somebody can be influenced at a moment's notice, which mm-hmm. if anything really does reflect back on Lee himself, right? This idea that, you know, again, he is this morally conflicted person that he's doing the right thing in this moment, but in another moment he made a mistake and it was a pretty grave mistake. And that really sets a great moral precedent i think for how you interact with every other character you meet in that world because 
yeah, you're in an apocalypse. You're going to meet people that are going to make bad decisions that in the moment are the right thing to do or they're in their mind, right? Or things that they're going to decide in the moment that are going to bite them in the ass later down the line and could potentially be devastating for either Lee or people that Lee cares about. That's it. Um, And I think that that is, again, you know, I keep coming back to just how well this game is written. But I think that when you get to the significance of the pharmacy and how that further acts as a rabbit hole really to explore Lee and find another facet of him and his history. It really just speaks to, again, how fundamental it is to this game and, you know, this season and how everything is layered. This game is very much like a house of cards, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it be in dialogue or in the series of lies that you have to set up to maneuver through this world in a way that's amicable for the group. And, I just love also like the attention to detail with exploring the environments, right? Because you start off in that pharmacy and then every single thing you interact with, at the end of the day, it doesn't have a great deal of significance to the overall plot and where the story's headed, but it has a great deal of significance to Lee, right? Everything he interacts with, he has a little anecdote for because he grew up in that shop. And at one point, I think even he lets that slip to somebody when he's describing something innocuous in the store. He's like, yeah, I remember growing up around that or something. And nobody picks up on it, but the player does, right? The player's like, oh shit, he just blew his cover for a second there. And I think that little moments like that add, again, they do what you would expect from a traditional game about the undead, which would be, you know, you have to fend off the zombies at every given turn. But in reality, this game is very much just the player trying to like maintain their cover for as long as they can. And what are they going to do when that cover gets blown? Mm. Um, and I think that that's a really smart approach because A, it makes it so this is not like every other zombie game out there, but also it gives a significance to the ways in which you interact with the environment. And there's a layer of agency there that, you know, anybody that plays Telltale games knows that like their environments are rich with detail. They're rich with, you know, whether it be backstory on characters or, the overall like environment and setting that you're in. But I just find that that furthermore gives significance to everything that I seek those things out. I seek yeah. out every little bit of detail that I can get out of those worlds because a, I'm already intrigued and become enamored by them, but to furthermore get those little nuggets, like it, when you're in the pharmacy, you can uh, help this reporter that you meet named uh, Carly. Yeah. Y- you can help her, I don't know if it's so much fixing a radio, but it's putting the batteries in the right way in a radio. Um, And that, I don't know if you have to do that to progress, but when you do that, it gives you a little insight into how other people, or rather how far the zombie apocalypse has progressed, right? You get a moment that's uh, almost similar to like in, I believe it's Dawn of the Dead when they have to go off the air or that might've been Night of the Living Dead. But anyways, like you get the sense that like, okay, this plague is blowing so out of proportion that now the radio stations are getting overthrown and you get a sense of scope without the game ever not being very personable in the exploration of a setting or of characters. Um, And just, you know, Lee going into the back room of the pharmacy and, you know, digging up these relics from his past of his father's walking cane, pulling up the, the, he sees the TV and the micro and the uh, remote control. And there's a little anecdote about that and growing up with, uh, with that and how that furthermore builds into them eventually escaping the store and whatnot. You know, again, there's so many layers to every single thing you interact with. There's so many mm. 
outcomes that can come from the most innocuous seeming interactions with an item or a person that it just makes for very involved storytelling that is just a treat to go back and uh, re-experience. Yeah, and I mean, that point where he is sort of reminiscing and you know, his main worry before getting in there was having to face them, you know, with what, you know, them knowing what he'd been convicted of and how they'd feel about him and, you know, the shame and all that. And quite clearly, you know, it's then replaced with, like regret because he could then wishes that he, you know he could have that at least you know he could have he would take that right now rather than have to have to face them like this you know in this horrible situation and yeah it's a great little moment you know to get all this way through this episode and then having this moment where Lee sort of you know we're going back into the melancholy and really delving into what makes Lee him and, you know, and really fleshing out him as a character to a point where you care about him enough to go, well, yeah, of course, well, we're going to make sure he's good and he makes sure Clementine's okay. You know, that's, that's the key point of this whole story. And if you don't believe in that, then you're not going to be swayed at this point. You know, um, so among this group, we get another established character, obviously, in Glenn, uh, um, you know, who at least we know is going to be safe at this point. You know, and, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a, uh, but again, this is a character where we get a very real look at sort of, you know, the hopeless romantic sort of type that he is. Uh, when you have that little section away from here where they go to the motel where he's been, where he's worried about this woman who's trapped, it seems, in a place and he's worried about her and he's, you know, the Lee and Lee and Carly, I think, go there to deal with the situation as well. And it ends badly, obviously, because the woman is bit and she ends up, killing herself effectively one way or another and yeah and it really sort of pushes the idea of what Glenn is like as a character you know one of the things that always surprised me about you know when about the TV series is that for all the changes you know um, people were very very angry about Glenn and the fake out about his uh, exit shall we say yeah, where they, you know, it happens just as it does in the comics. You know, the, you know, it's exactly the same. The only difference is in the TV series, they let another character go first to make you think it's not going to be him, like that. So it's like the anti-Game of Thrones, where there was lots of people like <laughs> smugly going about, well, this happens and this happens and this happens for ages. You know, oh, yeah, and uh, whereas this was like, everyone was suddenly surprised that this has happened, despite the fact that this had happened you know right. and so yeah and in keeping with that authenticity of a character again glenn is very much like glenn in the comics yeah and going through this glenn is one of those characters that is the same in either medium in any of the mediums you know he is the same in the game as he is in the comics as he is in the tv show he is you know, Stephen Yeun is brilliant in that regard, that he, he kept that character very much like him. 
you know, and it feels like him. And I like that about it as a character, which is why it makes it all the more you know, effective and impactful that, and upsetting and people literally saying, I will never watch this again because, <laughs> <laughs> because of that. It's like, <laughs> uh, well, I think you're, you're bringing up the motel sequence. Like, yeah, it's a smart way to display characters in a very organic way and to not make it seem as if this is just a plot device, right? You get a yeah. very genuine look at characters and their thought process that if anything, it defines them as being an individual rather than just another member of the pack. Yeah. And I think from a gameplay perspective though, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, that is the most gameplay heavy segment of the episode, I think, right? Because yeah. you have to stealthily maneuver the parking lot and the various innards of the motel so that you can take out the various zombies there stealthily before you can go up and actually rescue this woman. And then we'll delve into, you know, the ultimate climax of that and the decision-making that goes into that. Cause that's one of many decisions you have to make that are pivotal to the outcome of the first episode and, you know, inevitably have an impact on the later episodes. Mm. Um, how did you feel they handled that? Because I was surprised again in revisiting this, how, it comes at just a nice break in or a nice point of this episode in that so much of it is in line with, okay, I'm going to walk around an environment. I'm going to have these anecdotal moments, might find a few candy bars to increase my clout with the character. Um, but then ultimately outside of like decision-making from a conversation standpoint, there's not much traditional gameplay or what is more involved or an interactive piece to an adventure game. How did you find they handled that, uh, the motel stealth assault? Well, what I like about it is the futility of it all, is that you never needed to be there, really. You know, all said and done, it, once everything is done, it really didn't matter. You should never have gone there. And ultimately, did that have an impact on what happens afterwards? You don't know. But you went there, you did this thing that wasted a lot of time, and in one way, you could be angry about that, but at the same time, you see the effect it has on Glenn. And that in itself is the reward, I suppose, in a weird, twisted way, is that you are getting characterization, you know, as we said, and that makes it very much like, we know this about Glenn. This is a character, you know, and if you are someone who at that point is reading the comics as much as you are, then you are going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this feels right for the character. And you'd be more convinced by the idea of helping him out to see where this is going, you know? And so, yeah, I think sometimes there's a problem in games where everything has to feel like it's a reward and like you're doing stuff for a point, but it doesn't, especially when you're going something with a narrative stuff doesn't have to have a point necessarily you you can just do stuff because that's the way the world works you do stuff and it has no positive outcome on what goes what happens after that it's just that somebody made a decision out of your hands to do something stupid and you've got to essentially go and rescue them from their situation and that's how i took it and if it had been a standalone moment and it never happened again then you'd be like oh okay so maybe it was a fluke and they were just trying to fill time but no it, it happens fairly consistently in much the same way it happens in instances in the comics as well so yeah i i think it is a nice little 
drop in uh, pace before the climax of the game. You know, it, it really. I like the pacing, you know, especially of this episode in that regard that it goes places constantly and it doesn't feel like it's building in a very traditional sense. It's just sort of like, you know, one situation takes you to another, to another. Stuff happens, but it's like, you know, it's hard to know how severe that the impact of those things are going to be. And if you only take it at face value of like, well, if someone dies, that's important. Then, yeah, obviously you're going to take that as the only important moments. But it really does try to set the stool out that, no, it's not just death that is important. It's about those that don't die and those why they don't die, you know, and, you know, what people are willing to do to not die, you know. These all matter here. And I think that that really is sold in the moments where people do selfish things like that. Yeah, the fact that there is a narrative payout to that moment, which, you know, by traditional gameplay standards, I suppose you could say, well, that was all for naught. But no, it's in service of something greater than Mm. just that moment. And, you know, I was appreciative of the fact that they're able to, again, facilitate an evolution or more of an understanding, rather, on characters in the ways in which they think and the ways in which they react to these types of situations in this new apocalyptic setting but they gave the player a different outlet for interactivity that is you know it's not difficult it's pretty simplistic puzzle solving essentially and how you maneuver what you need to progress to get to this point or reach that item or take out that zombie without alerting the others but it's just enough that it doesn't make any moment of the first episode really feel stale for me And that sometimes, you know, as somebody that didn't grow up with adventure games, sometimes my hesitation with approaching them is like, well, is there enough here other than just like a bunch of clicking or something like that, which, you know, doesn't cast me in the best of light. But uh, (laughs) just the ways in which they can build upon those simplistic mechanics in a way that throughout an entire, you know, when you're talking about this two to three hour experience adds a bit of variety to it. And I think with any experience, you want variety. And to do that in the same sort of gameplay mechanics that the game has prepared you for, but give you a different facet for a lot of those outcomes or those uh, types of interactivity, I just was appreciative of in the fact that it's able to make that three-hour experience never really have a standstill moment or start to kind of like outstay its welcome. It's the length that it is, and it uses that time impeccably well Mm -hmm. at, at that particular moment, you know, redefining the type of an experience that the player could have with that interactivity. And yet it's unlike any other moment in the rest of that episode. They go back obviously after all that. And then we have our, you know, finale-esque siege um, where the the dead are getting into the shop. And, you know, in his type. So we'll point out quickly that among not just his parents that he finds, you know, when they're out in the street getting stuff, the shop you know, getting the keys they find his brother who's a police officer i believe and um you know, he's dead as well so you know he's losing everything and then you know the store is getting overtaken and the game throws you know, its first big decision if you will you know the the who lives who dies sort of thing that people tend to latch onto with these sort of games where it's like well you had that kind of decision i mean at this point 
you don't know enough about either of the characters to really put it across. But they have put far more effort into explaining Carly and how she's sympathetic with Lee's situation. She rumbles who he is from and what he's done. Um, And Doug is just like, Doug, he's a nice guy. (laughs) It's like, at the same time, he's like, he's just enough that you're like, I don't really want him to die just because like that. So I, over the multiple playthroughs I've done, I've done it differently in different times. It just, again, like I said before, it depends on a mood and the feeling and like, you don't want any one of them to die, but the situation calls on it. You know, you can only hand your gun to one person or help one push the door or whatever. And here it is. What do you do? I mean, the majority of the times I've picked Carly. And um, just because they do a better job of sort of pushing her being the the canonical choice, if you will. Um, I mean, yeah. It, again, when we talk about futility, whatever you do, it seems like it's not worth it. But again, this just goes back to the, you're not thinking about the future. You're thinking about the moment, you know, it, and this is key. So in this last attempt, I picked Carly. So how about you? Yeah, I picked Carly and, uh, you know, our decision is backed up by 76% of players that uh, chose Carly. Um, And I want to get into like the statistics behind decision making uh, to round out the episode. But yeah, in terms of like that big decision, are you going to save Carly or are you going to save, um, it was Doug, was it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See, I can't can't even bother to remember his name. They did so little effort in defining him, but um it was that that decision is always confusing to me why anybody would pick Doug because a you aren't really given anything to know about him at all other than like he seems to be yeah. like a decent person that hasn't like gone feral yet because of the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> he's not um, Larry. <laughs> yeah, he's not Larry exactly. But I mean, with Carly, I guess some people might have been like, "Well, I should let her die because she knows who I am, my true identity." But at the same time, she's. I wouldn't say sympathetic, but she basically just comes out and says, I don't care who you were. You seem to be doing the right thing now, which is in line, I would think, with the majority of the players thinking as being like, yeah, Lee killed somebody. But at the same time, we haven't been shown a murderer. We've been shown this man that's surviving an apocalypse. And what is the first thing he does other than escape in custody is he's going to foster this little girl whose parents are dead. So the idea that you would not want to save her and that she is some kind of threat always kind of like was very strange to me. I never understood why you would want that. Plus, you know, she's the only, even if she didn't know who your true identity was, she's the character that you at least know more about. You get a semblance of who she is through a couple of conversations. Whereas Doug, again, he's just like a, a decent guy, which is like at the end of the day, what does that really add to, a game that is so heavily steeped in narrative. It's like, well, I'm going to be inclined to save the person that seems to be unique or interesting. Not just this kind of like blank slate character that it's like, yeah, he's, he's, he's decent, but he's only decent because he's not an asshole like Larry or somebody like that. Right. Which yeah, at the end of the day, it. does that make him a good guy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you do find out uh, as we go on how, you know, more about him, but again, we will get into that with later episodes, but it, it's yeah, it, it doesn't offer you the, the greatest choice at all. I suppose the the key thing here is that they don't give you a lot of time 
to think about what you know you know it's a time decision it's like pick one you know like so you could easily just be like well all right that like that like in the moment maybe you're not thinking oh well i know more about her so it makes more sense you know it's like you don't want anyone to die at the same time at that point because it isn't between two people who are shitheads or anything like where you're like, well one or the other's fine <laughs> or one being really bad so yeah it, it, it's an interesting sort of thing i think there are better decisions made later in terms of like offering you a dramatic choice you know the, the, than this but they only come because you get time with people to understand right. them better and yeah, let's just say that there are some cathartic moments later on where you, you do just, you know, well, that was easy, you know, and compared to this, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, there are also stuff, there is stuff that is just agonizing, horrible stuff that you don't really want to make a decision either way with, you know, as well. So I, I like that there's a variety as well. I, I think it's nice to have this as being a soft decision, if you will, in this universe, if you can call it that. <laughs> and yet you can have all kinds later on. Yeah, and also, you know, while there's a timer for, a brief timer for, like, who you're going to save in a situation or a decision that you have to make that's going to alter the outcome of things, I still felt a majority of the time I'm well-informed enough to make a decision that it doesn't feel, you know, you obviously don't know the further outcome of that, but you feel at least informed enough to make some semblance of a decision that is rooted in something other than just like, oh, I'm just like a gut reaction, um, which I think is important, right? Because it doesn't add, it doesn't make decision-making a flippancy. Yeah. If it was just like, hey, you should try to save this person or this person upon meeting them in 30 seconds, you'd be like, well, okay, maybe decision-making in this is not as important as, or there's not as much emphasis on this as I thought there would be. But you're given just enough for each of the characters that you at least are given some inkling of who they are or who they might be. Um, which, you know, that comes time with somebody like Larry, right? Larry's an asshole out the gate and he's a blaring asshole at that. But in discussing with his daughter and, you know, later on in the episodes, you get a better semblance of who people are and where they're coming from. And I think that again, the game really does operate almost in like this moral gray area of you can't take anybody necessarily at face value, but yeah. you can see the potential in people through, you know, again, it's on the player to interact with every piece of environment, have every single discussion they can that you don't necessarily like every character, but at the end of the day, like the bare minimum, you can understand where they're coming from some majority hmm. of the time. Um, that's coming from somebody who hasn't replayed the season in a while, but that's what I remember at least from, for a uh, majority yeah. of the decisions. Yeah, and I think interactions. You, know, you you bring your own life experience into the, uh, as much as it is Lee's ultimate choice sets. You know, you will pick the one that most resonates with you. You know, and when this came out, you know, you know, I was I had a newborn son. You know, at that point, you know, so it was kind of going to be harder with the kid-based stuff and more likely to be like, oh, I'm going to go for the kid-based the stuff that makes the kids safe as much as I can because you, you feel it more. But, you know, I can see how, you know, you see a lot when people don't know kids and like, oh, the kid's annoying. Why would I care? Why would I care? Like that. <laughs> like that. It's like, oh, yeah. It, like it's different. But um, apparently 51% of people either don't have children or they don't like their children because they chose not to save duck. <laughs> <laughs> well, see... <laughs> I'm looking at the um, 
the video game statistics sort of thing, which sort of collates everything mm-hmm. a bit more. So they come up with very different sort of things. So it would, some are more surprising. I think I wonder if that's just because of repeat playthroughs and stuff. But probably uh, yeah. a little skewed. Uh, yeah, a little skewed. <laughs> but before we get there, well, so anyway, when that happens and you choose who you choose, they escape. Or they try to. Lee um, gets to see Larry's definitely not a nice guy um, because he basically punches him and tries to leave him for dead. Uh, but they end up going to the motel area as a refuge place as the army are bombing the undead and stuff in the background. And Larry, of course, then lets Lee know that, you know, leave my door alone. I'll keep out of the way because I know who you are. I know what you've done. And it all becomes clear why he's especially such an arsehole to you. And uh, in that moment. And yes, so they basically had this whole little optimistic thing. Like, well, you know, we can hear the military dealing with the undead. Maybe it's going to be okay. We know it's not going to be okay because, you know, (laughs) we know what the story goes. And then they have that very sort of bleak sort of end. Like, well, and the power goes out, you know, as as they end the episode. Which sets things up nicely. And I think back then, which was quite cool, you know, you had this sort of like next time thing on thing where they show you like a, a hint of what was going on and you have that little like teaser for the next episode. It was nice. But yeah, it was a very, uh, it was an epilogue really to the story rather than like an ending. The ending is probably when they leave the, the store and, this is like the, yep, okay, now we're going to go to the quieter part and set up our, our next set of dominoes, if you will. Yeah, I really appreciate that element of how they wrap up each episode, right? Because that preview of what's to come is cut together so well that, you know, it was maddening, I'm sure, to have to wait the two oh, or yeah. three months in between because it does such a good job. It does exactly what TV does in terms of like, next time on, but it's able to do so much. And those previews are probably like 10, 15 seconds. And yet there's so much investment right from the jump for that second episode that I had to stop myself from jumping ahead too far. (laughs) You know, obviously I have the, the entirety of the season, but I was like, I'm going to, I want to pace myself. I want to pace myself, but it was really quite difficult because it's such a fantastic ending that, teases something that is equally intriguing in a way that it's like, okay, I've made these decisions. How are these decisions going to influence relationships moving forwards? But also just getting a brief semblance of what's to come is uh, is quite the intoxicating little cocktail that I've definitely, like, it. that is what was surprising and how well that holds up and how well realized this all was in terms of, like, the episodic roadmap, as it were. And, you know, there were stumbles along the way, but it's the type of storytelling that doesn't feel as if it's being drummed up on the fly. It feels very much like this is heading in a direction, you know, much like TV. It's yeah. heading in a direction that is telling a story that's well thought out, well developed, and they're giving you just the right little glimpses of it that are intriguing in the best ways possible. And yeah, I'm very excited to dive into more of this uh, season and the subsequent seasons because I'm all back in on <laughs> on Telltale's The Walking Dead. <laughs> Yes, uh, there is plenty to go through. Um, so, yeah, just a quick look at choices that uh made for this one by Video Game Statistics, which should sort of collate most sort of uh, decision-making. 
So obviously this will take into account repeat playthroughs, I'd imagine, and such. Um, so we'll also obviously answer how we did on this run as well. Um, so honesty, Lydell told the truth to Herschel was the first one. What did you do? I was honest. I was. I, I lied. Um, most people currently have told the truth. Fifty-four percent told the truth. Um, who would you save, uh, Duck or Sean? Um, I think I went Sean. I think I went Sean this time. Um, but fifty-two percent say Duck, uh, according to statistics overall. And then in the loyalty, where you d- decide. Uh, a bit we didn't mention, I might add, thinking about it. Uh, when you first go into the store, Larry sees Duck is covered in blood and thinks that he's infected. And there's this whole argument, and you basically have to decide with one of them, uh, or Kenny or Larry. Um, I sided with Kenny, you know, personally. Me too. Yeah, and... Larry's just such an asshole. There's no way I'm siding with anything, even if that kid's bit... Yeah, and logically at that point, you're like, well, I didn't see him be a bit. He seems okay. Right. So, like... It, you just generally think, no, I'm not. I'm not ousting a kid. And <laughs> at that point, come on. Um. So next one was Mercy. Did you give Irene the gun? So Irene is the woman that's locked up in the apartment um, that Glenn's gone to. I think I refused. Yeah, I mean, she wants to kill herself. It ends badly, whatever. But you know, yeah, generally refuse. It, it, it tends to be the way. Fifty-three percent there. That was the one I only refused because every time I played or the last time I played it, I gave her the gun. So I, that was the one where I was like, I want to dabble in either or. But that's the thing, man, with these decisions. I'm like, OK, I should be trying out the other options. But some of these characters I like too much just to kill off or to have too yeah. negative of an impact with certain characters. So the interesting one was the final choice, which is, of course, the do you say Doug or Carly, is that Doug currently is 51 percent, so hmm. it's a lot closer than you think but then i think yeah. why and i'm sure we'll come to this as the season goes on there's probably a reason because of whoever you choose and their outcome it does make sense a bit more just to how things go so yeah i, I get that um i think we've both clearly said this time we chose carly so yeah yeah so yeah on we will go on to the next episode with those choices in mind I gotta say, man, those uh, the community aspect of each of the episodic contents is was really, really a cool thing, and I think that was something that they carried over to their other Telltale games. Yeah, um, that was a really neat in the moment for when I played The Wolf Among Us, just because you know it's a single player game, obviously, but there's a sense of community there, even if it's not directly so, but also like. That furthermore reinforced the idea of going back immediately and replaying through the episodes, which is an element of those games. You know, when you, for me at least, when I sit down and play a narrative-driven game, very rarely is that my inclination to go immediately back and play through it. But to see sometimes whether it be I made a decision that a majority didn't agree with or I made the decision that the majority did agree with, that just pushes me to want to go explore the other side to that coin or that decision. Yeah. Um, and that was a really cool element that I remember from those games. And, you know, that giving more credence to allowing a game that is narrative driven to be very much a part of the conversation, like in the moment that so many of these games that we get now are that might be multiplayer or just, you know, bigger games in general have. But with something so small and yet so refined, like to have that community element, I remember being a pretty cool part of those games. 
Yeah. But uh, for anyone listening, if you uh, want to let us know your thoughts on The Walking Dead or, you know, any game in general that we're uh, chatting about in any given week, you guys should feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at SafeRoomPod. Um, and thanks again for listening. Uh, I'm really looking forward to diving back into The Walking Dead uh, season one and, you know, future seasons that I have not necessarily gotten to check out because it uh, definitely, if this is a strong indication of uh, just how well these games are and how well they've aged. So, you know, as always, Neil, it's a uh, pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Absolutely. Till next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.